0: In this week's episode, we explore brains in jars, false prison experiments, and how they affect our daily living. Bringing hope and healing. It's your source for personal growth, mental health, and interesting ideas. Thoughtful Mind with Svi. Here's your host, Svi Hilsenrath. Welcome back to Thoughtful Mind with Svi personal growth, mental health, and interesting ideas. In this episode, we're going to talk about an interesting idea I found from my own personal growth as well as in my professional experience as a psychotherapist, a clinical social worker, working with clients, it's sometimes helpful to look at an interesting idea, something that makes me think in a different kind of way or take my mind down a different path and then bring it back to my everyday life. And it helps me look at myself differently and look at how I act differently. And then from there, possibly change how I act. All right. So we're going to have one of those this week. So we're going to start off with the brain in the jar thought experiment. And the idea is this. How do you know that you're interacting with the world? What I mean is right now you're listening. How do you know you're listening to this podcast? If you're driving? How do you know that you're driving a car right now? How do I know that I'm recording something? Well, it's my senses, right? I can see the microphone. I can hear myself as I'm recording. I can feel my chair as I'm sitting in it and talking. So my senses are what tells me that I'm interacting with the world. It tells me what the things around me are. And our senses are our body's way through our skin, through our tongue, through our eyes, nose, etc., of sending messages to our brain, which are transmitted through electricity in our brain, giving information to our brain about what's going on outside of us. It's possible, theoretically, to have a brain removed from its body, placed in a jar of some kind of fluid, and hooked up through wires to a strong enough computer to send those electrical impulses into the brain and fool the brain into thinking that it is receiving information that it's not. So a very, in a, in a certain way, a very intensive form of virtual reality. And when I talk about this, a lot of times people bring up The Matrix, um, which was a movie, came out a couple of decades ago, uh, where people were hooked up to machines uh, and then hooked up to a giant computer program, which was a virtual reality and everyone inhabited this virtual reality which was not the real world so their body was in a kind of pod and their brain was hooked up to this computer simulation and everyone thought they were experiencing the world when in fact they were just stuck in a pod and it's similar to that idea with one important distinction that in the matrix uh, everyone shared one computer simulation and in this experiment Everyone is alone in their own jar. Okay, so imagine this scenario. Imagine you're living your life going about, again, this computer is so strong that the simulation is indistinguishable from the real world because of the information that it's feeding your brain. So you're living your life, and then you find out that you are, in fact, a brain in a jar. Everything around you is false, however you find it out. Now that you've come to this awareness, should you still act in line with? With your values. And why would you? If you're alone, a brain in a jar, and everything around you is not real, all the people that you experience are fake, why should you continue to act in line with your values? And I'm not talking, I want to be very clear, I'm not talking about religious values or legal uh, consequences. I'm just talking about personal values, the inner sense of right and wrong that we have, whether it comes from religion or somewhere else, that guides our behavior. And I'm not saying that religion can't be a source for values. Obviously, as a religious person, I believe that it can. But I do believe each of us has our own value system, something that we use to guide us in our everyday life. If all the actions you take have no meaning, why shouldn't you just go out and do whatever you want? Who cares if it's going to feel wrong? It will feel wrong because the computer is so strong that even though you know, for example, let's say you go push someone over, and take all the money they have, beat them up, whatever. I don't know why you would, but let's say you would. Uh, your brain might know that this is not a real person, but it sure feels like a real person. But who cares? As long as you know that it's not someone real, who cares what it feels like? Well, maybe it does impact us. And there's a couple of ways to look at this. So let's start with a benign example. Something I'm working on currently is trying to interact with my smartphone less. I've noticed that I've spent too much time on it. One of the reasons is that I get a lot of junk emails. Somehow you get on these mailing lists, and before you know it, you're getting daily or a few times a week emails from this organization or this company or this or that. And each time the email shows up on your phone and makes a little noise, and we condition ourselves, or we are conditioned, to answer that. And once you're on the phone, it's much harder to get off and to keep using the phone. I receive these promotional emails by entering contests to win a guitar. I play guitar. And I know if I enter this contest, I'm going to be added to a mailing list. And I keep unsubscribing from these mailing lists. And it's hard to not enter the contest because, you know, maybe I'll win. When I'm doing it, and i got to be honest, I generally do. But when I'm doing it, I know I'm probably doing something Wrong, not wrong, not earth shattering, not earth shatteringly wrong. No one's going to get hurt by this, except I'm feeling unsettled because I'm going against the values that I have, which is spending less time on the phone because I'm going to be hooked up to this junk mail list and now I'm going to have to unsubscribe. And if I don't unsubscribe, I'll keep getting these. You get the idea. So here's an example of something that's not affecting anybody except me. And because it's an action that is going against what I believe for myself is the right or wrong thing to do, it makes me unsettled. Again, nobody else is affected. But let's take it a step further. A number of years ago, in the 60s, a man named Philip Zimbardo conducted what has become known as the Zimbardo Prison Experiment or the Stanford Prison Experiment. He was a professor at Stanford University where he wanted to conduct a study on how people's roles impact their behavior. And so what he did was he went into the basement of Stanford University, he created a virtual prison, replaced doors with bars, etc. gathered 21 volunteers, 11 guards, and 10 quote-unquote prisoners. These were all students. These were all graduate students, so they were just going to be acting out the roles, and began what was to be a multiple-week study. And what happened was pretty extraordinary. Everyone beforehand had been screened for psychological stability. Everyone had been screened to make sure that nobody with a quote-unquote cruel nature got in, or nobody with a submissive nature got in. And yet those people that were playing the guards very quickly became abusive and sadistic. And those people that were playing the prisoners became servile. They were assigned numbers at the beginning of the experiment. They were referred to by number by the guard, the prisoners began to refer to themselves, not by their names, but by their numbers. Even when mock therapists or counselors came to talk to them in the prison, they did not refer to themselves by name, but by number. The behaviors on both sides, on both the guard's and and on the prisoner's and became very extreme very quickly. What ended up happening was Embargo's wife noticed a change in his behavior, Because he had set himself up as the warden of the experiment, which he later said was a great mistake. But he had set himself up as the warden of the prison, and she noticed that her husband, who was usually warm and kind, had very quickly become cold and distant. She went and visited the prison, the fake prison, and spoke to some of the guards, people that she knew to be kind and good people, and was amazed at the transformation and abusive nature that they were exhibiting. And she called Zimbardo out on it, and he, he pulled the plug on the experiment and ended it early. And the most amazing part of all this is it didn't take weeks or months for people to change their behavior. It took days. The entire experiment from when they started until when it ended was six days. So within six days, there was a transformation of people's personalities. Luckily, Once the experiment ended, people quickly went back to who they had been before. The kind people were kind again. Zimbardo himself returned to his own personality. So we see that in a short amount of time, our actions can be reversed. But the actions we take over time, past a few days, into weeks and months, do change who we are. They change how we view the world. The more we do something, the more we justify our behaviors as saying, this is who we are. We are somebody that does X, Y, and Z, and we change our values to reflect our behaviors. And this is a very important point. More often, people do not change their behaviors based on their values. People change their values based on their behaviors. It takes greater effort to change your behaviors based on your values. In other words, I think I should behave a certain way, therefore I will. That takes effort. It's much easier to behave a certain way and say, I must believe this is okay. And when that starts to happen, I think it does something to us that's very unpleasant. We don't like it. We don't like when we change our values. It has a lasting impact on us. I'll give a small example with myself. For many years, I wasn't somebody who flossed their teeth. I did it here and I did it there and I would go to the dentist and the dentist would say, you know, if you don't floss your teeth, you're going to lose them. You're going to keep getting cavities. And okay, all right. And I would go out and commit and do it for a couple of days and then forget it. And then at a certain point, I said, you know what? This is ridiculous. I'm an adult. I should be taking care of myself properly. And I started flossing my teeth again for the 1000th time. And then a couple of days in, I said, oh, I'm too tired and too lazy. I don't want to do this. And I stopped myself and I said, no, if I don't do it tonight, I might as well give up on the whole thing. And I forced myself to do it. And the next night and the next night. And I forced myself and forced myself and forced myself. It was not easy to create this new habit or to create this new value, this value of flossing my teeth. I'm happy to report that months later, if I try to go to sleep without flossing my teeth, it feels wrong and I have to get out of bed and floss them because my behavior changed my value. So I had a stated value, but I wasn't living by it, that value of taking care of myself. And this example may seem silly or benign, but it is part of a larger picture, the larger picture of me believing that I'm someone worth taking care of, that there is value in taking care of myself. Again, this is something that doesn't affect anybody else. But now I'm happier and more at peace with myself, satisfied with myself, because I know that I'm doing something that reflects both my stated values, that brain thing, and my acting values, what my behavior says about me. I've had this discussion about the brain in the jar and the prison experiment with a few of my clients. Each time that I do, I'm always amazed at how people react, looking back on their lives and finding areas of their lives where their values and their actions, even when they were not necessarily affecting anyone else, were not in line, or when their values and actions had changed because they didn't want to work on themselves. It was easier to ignore, or easier to act in a certain way than to change what they were doing. And so they changed what they believed. And those people then go on to try and address those very things that they've been ignoring or shoving under the rug or how they changed their value system. They want to go back to they want to go back to how they believe they should be acting. And I've I've spoken about this in the past, but it bears repeating, I work a lot in nursing facilities, and I'll notice two types of people. They're all getting the same services and those that are happy are those that are working on themselves and trying to address things like this. And those that are miserable are those that are angry at everybody else, usually for the very behaviors they are displaying. They'll be angry at other people for treating them poorly when they are treating everyone else poorly. They will be angry at other people for not having patience and a caring nature when they have no patience and no caring nature. They may complain about their spouses who would be in the community not being attentive enough when they are not being attentive to their spouses. In whatever way they can under their situation. And I often wonder if the reason they're so upset is because they're really upset at themselves for not living up to how they believe they should be acting. So it's easier to project out on everyone else than to face yourself. Bringing it back to the brain in the jar, true, if you're alone in this world, your actions will not have an impact on anyone else. But your actions will have an impact on you. Because in this scenario, the world you're inhabiting is indistinguishable from the real world. Although you intellectually may understand that your actions have no consequences, your body and your mind don't feel that way. It's a perfect virtual reality. Your actions, your behaviors, because they feel real would impact how you view yourself and ultimately would impact your personal happiness and serenity. And there's another point I want to bring up. I was reading Adam Alter's book Irresistible, and he was talking about the level of virtual reality that we have with our own technology now and how there's virtual reality sets that people go into, and again, they know that it's not real. And they're brought to the edge of a building, a skyscraper on the roof. And they're told, take a step. Now, their brain knows that if they take a step, they will be safe. It's fake. And yet the mind, the intuition, the body are experiencing this skyscraper on a level of reality that is so strong that no one is able to take that step forward. I've heard a lot of talk about using virtual reality to, for educational purposes to help promote positive behaviors. And the exciting possibilities, and they are exciting, because if you could, if behavior does change value, if behaviors, if actions do change habits and how I behave in the future and how I think of the world, then putting myself in a scenario of positive action and positive behavior um, that's fake, and then compressing the time by doing it again and again, putting myself through the same scenario, perhaps I can create a new habit in a short amount of time. Well... That's wonderful, but I do know looking at video games, (laughs) looking at the shelves of video game stores, there aren't a lot of educational games that are very popular. The ones that are extreme or the ones that are violent, those are the ones that sell. Until now, we've had some sort of disconnect between the game and the world. You know, it's a flat screen There's some kind of controller. But if we're going to now be entering a world of virtual reality that is indistinguishable from the real world, again, think of that skyscraper. What's that going to be doing to the people that are playing these games? Now, I want to be very clear. I have yet to see any research that shows that playing violent video games promotes violence. I'm not here to ban video games or come out against them. None of that. I am saying that when we take it to the next level where our body and our senses cannot distinguish the game from the real world, what will that do to us? Just a thought. Now, what does all of this have to do with our everyday life? It can be helpful to sit down and find a small, and I want to emphasize the word small, part of our daily behavior that is not in line with who we want to be, who we believe we should be, who we want to become. Find something small and force yourself to do it. Usually the first couple of times will be pretty easy. Usually around time three, four, five is when you'll say, "Ah, I'll deal with this a different time or it's okay if I skip. No, force yourself to keep going. Force yourself to keep doing behaviors that you would like and that is in line with your stated value system with that is in line with who you want to be who you want to become you'll find that if you keep doing it and forcing yourself over weeks and months you will go from someone who i want to be to someone who i am not i should be doing this but this is what i do so to summarize although our values influence our behaviors More often, our behaviors influence our values. If we find there's areas of our lives that are not in line with how we want to be acting, we can force ourselves to behave in a way that will then change who we become. The benefit to this is we become happier, serene, more self-satisfied. Even if our actions have no impact on anyone else, even if we're a brain in a jar, we still impact ourselves. I'd like to thank Isaiah Rappaport for the amazing music. I want to thank everyone that subscribed, everyone that's rating us on iTunes. I really appreciate it. If you like this episode, if it made you think, please share it with others. Until next time, go out, believe in yourself.